Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40, if you will. Now, the context will probably be found in 41 as well. So, you'll have to be turning back and forth a little bit. We want to try to continue with our thoughts concerning Joseph as a type of Christ. And I think the last one we got was number 39. And we found that in chapter 40, verses 10 through 12, didn't we? So we're on number 40 now. And look at Genesis chapter 40 and verse 8. It says, And they said unto him, We have, a, we have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God. Tell me them, I pray you. Now what we want to see in this 40th one of Joseph as a type is that he evidenced knowledge of the future. Because he was as much assuming here that he would be able by God's help to tell what the interpretation of this dream is. So, number 40, number 40 uh, in our list of things, we said there are 65 of them. He evidenced knowledge of the future. Well, how does this compare to Jesus? Look in John chapter 12, verse 49. John 12, verse 49. And Jesus has spoken many times in the Gospels, not just one reference, but I'll give you this one. He's spoken many times in the New Testament and shown it shown us his knowledge of the future, not only in miracles and in his life and in his sacrifice on the cross, but in verse 49 it says, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that this is his commandment, that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto, uh, said unto me, so I, so I speak. Now, we know that we could find passage after passage in the Gospels where Jesus shows us His knowledge of the future. In fact, uh, let me just give you uh, one instance. He says, as the disciples looked upon the glory of Solomon's temple, He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up again. But then he spake of the temp- this He spake of the temple of His body, the Bible says. And He was speaking of His resurrection. And after His resurrection... Some of them begin to understand what he said back there long before. So, that's not only his knowledge of the future concerning himself, because he said all things must be fulfilled which were written in the, in the uh, writings of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And he spoke of the things concerning himself on the cross and his resurrection. But he spoke of future things in the time of his second coming. So we see that by the knowledge that Joseph had of his interpretation of the dreams here, that uh, he was indicating that he evidenced his knowledge of the future. And Jesus certainly did that in so many aspects that we'd have to just go through the Gospels and point out one reference to another for you to see them many times. The next one, number 41, that we'll give you, is that Joseph's predictions came true. Look in Genesis 40, verse 20 through 22. It says, It came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the chief baker among his servants, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them, yet did not the chief butler... Remember Joseph, but forget him. So what, what do we find here in verse 20 and through 22? 
Well, we read verse 23, which is the next point. But verse 20 through 22, we find that Joseph's predictions of what would happen to the chief butler and the chief baker certainly came true. Now, we know that all things that Jesus has predicted have come true. Not only the things that are already past and that have been fulfilled concerning what Jesus prophesied. And you can go back and see all the things that have already been fulfilled. He said that he would, in three days he would rise again. His resurrection was proof of, his, of what he predicted that it was fulfilled. And then he predicted of the coming of the Holy Spirit. He predicted of the preaching of the gospel throughout the world. He predicted of his second coming, which is yet to be fulfilled, but will happen in due time. Anything as important as Christ's death that he predicted came true, and his resurrection that came true, and his ascension back to the Father came true, and his prediction of the coming of the Holy Spirit came true. Surely we can depend upon the fact that the prediction of his coming again will come true. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So he said, I will come again. Someone says, well, he hasn't come yet. Well, certainly not. Because he says, every eye shall see him and every... One will uh, know that he has come. There have been cults that through the time past have said, well, this was the coming of Christ during World War I, 1914, 1918, then in the 1920s and 1930s, different events happened upon this earth. And they say, well, that was the coming of the Lord. Not so, because he said, every eye shall see him. And the Bible tells us that all the kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. And the Bible tells us that that his own, they'll look on him whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as for an only son. So there's prediction after prediction of Christ's second coming. So we know that if all the other things that he predicted, especially as important as his resurrection and ascension has taken place, he said, I'll go back to my father. And he says, after a time, I'm going to come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. And Acts chapter 1, verse 11 tells us that this same Jesus that is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner, what is manner? The same way as you have seen him go into heaven. Well, how did he go into heaven? He went away physically, bodily, literally, actually, visibly. They saw him ascend up, and he's going to come visibly, bodily, and actually back when he comes again. In power and great glory. So, so, we don't know when. And there's a lot of people now that are beginning to predict again. Have you heard it on the, some of the Christian channels? And some of them start, start predicting again. I heard one fellow say that. He says, well, the Bible says no man will know the day nor the hour. That's true. But he says we know the time. Well, day and hour in the Bible speaks of a certain particular time. Because a day with the Lord is a thousand years. And a thousand years is a day. So these people that are telling you that uh, we're in the midst of the great tribulation, or and that you know, or uh, that that time has already come, we do not know 
we it wouldn't hurt if we could confess once in a while our ignorance of some of the things of God's Word, would it? I don't think it'd disturb us too much to confess that we don't know it all. But man thinks, you know, because of his study, and they put numbers together and calendars together and this and that and the other together, together and they say, well, it's got to be. Remember in 1988? Boy, that was a special time. It, it had to be 1988 because... Uh, Israel was reestablished in 1948, okay, as a nation. And they said that 40 years is a generation. And so they said this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. And boy, they jumbled numbers on a computer and they had it so down pat that everyone was scared to death that the end was coming in 1988. Do you remember those days? Anyway, what they failed to realize is that no one has established the fact that 40 years is a generation, first place. And then secondly, the, the Bible speaks of a generation many times as a race of people. And so this Jewish people, he says, this generation, these people, the Jewish nation, the Jewish people shall not pass, shall not cease to be till all these things are fulfilled. And if you go study Matthew chapter 24, you'll find out that Jesus possibly is talking about not a period of time, but a race of people that shall not cease to be when he talks about his second coming in power and great glory. And you look it up, and you can study it on the Strong's Concordance, or on your if you've got all these things on your computer, you can look it up and you can find that that generation does not always mean a certain period of time in the age of, of uh, the descent of your families. Though sometimes we do, do refer to it that way. We like you know, like we'll have a father and a son and a grandson and so on, and we'll say so many generations. Well, we do refer to it that way. But that doesn't mean that it's always used in that sense of the word. And you study it out, and you'll find that Jesus is really saying this race, this Jewish race, this people of Israel shall not cease to be till all of it's fulfilled. So you've got to consider a lot of things in studying prophecy. And as I've said time and time again, we do not always know the full details of all these things we've been teaching in the book of Revelation. And I've mentioned that we don't know exactly what all these symbols and signs and things mean, but we have an idea of what is indicated there, and we have a, a lot of information about it. We know that there's going to be terrible tribulation. We know that there's going to be martyrs during the tribulation. We know there's going to be people saved during the tribulation. We know there's going to be an end of it finally. And we do have a period of time set there when it begins. But it's not going to begin until the, the saints are, are raptured. So it hasn't begun yet. And we know it's going to be seven years according to the teaching of Daniel. After it does once begin, then there's going to be the end of it. And then Christ is going to come at the end of that period of time. In, in prophecy, in power and great glory. And that's in Revelation chapter 19 when he comes back in power and great glory. And you can read the scripture there and see what it's talking about. All right, anyway, so much for uh, Joseph's predictions came true. And then I want you to notice, continue in Genesis chapter 40. Now then, look in verse 14. It says, But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. Joseph is saying, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. So Joseph, this is the statement, number 42, Joseph desired to be remembered. He desired to be remembered. 
Now look at verse 23. It says, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Even though he desired to be remembered, when these two dreams were fulfilled in what Joseph had predicted and how they would be fulfilled. Remember, the chief butler was restored to his butlership and he served the cup to Pharaoh and the chief baker was hanged just as Joseph had predicted. And so the chief butler still, it says, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph but forget him. So our statement, Joseph Joseph desired to be remembered. We have it in verse 14. He says, remember me. Think well upon me. Think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. So he desired to be remembered. Jesus has gone away into heaven, and doesn't he desire to be remembered? In fact, he said, when he instituted the memorial supper, he said, this do in remembrance of me, right? And he says, as long as you do this, you do show forth or proclaim the Lord's death till He comes. So it's an ordinance of the church that's to be carried out until Jesus comes again. And we do remember Him in that way. That's one way. We can remember Him in many other ways, but this is one way that He uh, instituted that we, we would be reminded. You know, uh, there's a lot of God's people that forget. We forget the most fundamental and simple things. Let me turn over to the book of it's first or second Peter, but let me get it for you. Second Peter chapter chapter one. There's many places, but look in Second Peter chapter one. And I want to give you several verses. In verse twelve, Second Peter chapter one, verse twelve. Now Peter wanted to remind people of the things of God. He says in verse twelve, Wherefore I will not be negligent, I'm not going to neglect to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. Peter says, concerning what he had been teaching, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 12. You have it? It says, Wherefore, I will not be negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them. So Peter is saying, before we finish the reading here, Peter is saying, I'm not telling you something you don't know, but I want to remind you of the things that you don't. No, and I'm not going to neglect my responsibility to keep on reminding you. Someone says, Preacher, you preached that before. You taught that before. Well, I'll probably teach it again. Because why? The same reason Peter was doing. He says, I want to remind you. We sing songs in our hymnal. It says, Tell me the story of Jesus. story that we're so familiar with. And they said, uh, the song says that uh, preaching and teaching are... And in the song, the same thing is precious to all those that know it. Okay? So he says, Wherefore I will not be uh, negligent to put you always in remembrance of these things, though you know them, and be established in the present truth. So he wanted to establish them in what he was teaching at this time. And we could go back and include all the things that we're talking about in First Peter and Second Peter. But now I want you to follow on down. You have Second Peter chapter 1. In verse 13, he says, Yea, I think it meet, as long as I'm in this tabernacle, he meant this body of clay, in this life, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Notice he used the same word again. I want to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Verse 12, he says, I want to remind you, even though you already know it. And he says, I want to use these same things to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. And then, 
Read on down 14 and 15. Moreover, uh, knowing that shortly, knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has showed me. He knew that he was about to, to put off this body. He knew that they were about ready to get him and put him on the cross. They're going to get rid of Jesus. I mean, uh, Peter as well. I forget all the ways that different ones of the apostles suffered their death. And I forget about Peter, but uh, I have a record of all those. But I know there's St. Andrew's cross, remember? Talk about his martyrdom. But Peter knew that he was about to die and become a martyr. But verse 15, look at it again. Moreover, I will endeavor that you may be able, after my decease, after I'm dead, to have these things always in remembrance. He used the same thing again. I want you to know after I'm dead and gone, he says, that you'll have these things in remembrance. So you see how he started out? Well, let's, I may have sidetracked too far from the uh, passage, but anyway, we're talking about that Joseph wanted to be remembered and Jesus wanted to be remembered. And Peter preached to that effect that we would remember what he taught. All right, back in the book of Genesis, chapter 40 again. Let's see where we are. Try to pick up with some more thoughts. Okay, the next one, the next thought is, we gave you number 42, didn't we? That Joseph desired to be remembered. All right, number 43. Joseph, in due time, was delivered from prison. Joseph, in due time, was delivered from prison. We know that after a certain period of time, after Pharaoh had dreamed his dreams, look in Genesis 41 and verse 14. You'll see that he was delivered from prison. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and chained his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. So after Pharaoh had heard of Joseph interpreting the two dreams of the one of the chief butler and the other of the chief baker, and Pharaoh had his dream. He was wanting to know what it meant. And so, in due time, this is the statement, and it's the 43rd one of the types. Joseph, in due time, was delivered from prison. It says in verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. So how does this apply to Jesus? So Jesus, the third day, on the third day, rose again. We might say he was... Delivered out of the prison of death, hell in the grave. It would refer to His resurrection. You know, as far as the world was concerned, Joseph in prison was the same, you know, a person that's in those days of old most likely would be in prison until the time of their execution for some crime. It was like being on death row. So, in a sense, He was resurrected. From a dead situation, we'll call it. But Jesus was literally resurrected from the dead on the third day. So in due time, Jesus came out of the grave. And we'll let this type of Joseph picture that. Then number 44, I'll give you one, another one. Number 44, that Joseph was delivered from prison by the hand of God. Now we have to, to prove this one, we have to look way on over to chapter 45. Look on 45, chapter 7 and 8. I all of us wish all these things were in exact sequence, but they are not. But we want to prove the point that we're making, that Joseph was delivered from prison by the hand of God. 
And look in chapter 45, verse 7 through 9. I said 7 and 8, but 7 through 9. Notice, it says this, And God sent me before you. So, Joseph later on is saying, And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither. He's talking to his brethren about them betraying him and selling him into slavery. But he says, So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. And he hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord over all his house and ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made look, God hath made me lord over all Egypt. Come down unto me and uh, unto me tarry not. So what is he saying here? That all that had happened to him, including his imprisonment, including all the things that he had gone through, that he was delivered by the mighty hand of God from this prison. I want to give you some New Testament references now concerning this point. Acts 2, verse 24. Turn to Acts chapter 2 and verse 24. We could quote a lot of these to you, but I just soon you'd look at it with your own eyes. Acts 2, verse 24. <clears throat> Notice what it says here. It says, let's read verse 23 and 24. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God... Ye have taken, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holden of it. What's we saying? God is the one that permitted Jesus to be delivered. In fact, it'd be good if you'd include in your thoughts verse 23 and 24. I should have given you that. Acts 2, verse 23 and 24. Because he was delivered by the foreknowledge by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. And it says, Ye have taken, you've taken him, and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God hath raised up. God not only delivered him in his permissive will to the death of the cross and according to God's predictions by the prophets of old to fulfill God's purpose, the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, but God also raised him up just like he promised he would. So, we want to see that he was delivered from prison by the mighty hand of God. Now then, Acts 10, verse 40, if you'll look over there. Acts 10, verse 40. Notice what it says here. Well, let's read verse 39. Almost necessary to read the verse before it. And if you think I'm uh, the only one that does that, Dr. Stanley referred back twice this morning to previous verses. He says, look at this verse. But he said, look back at the last two verses or something. If you heard him on the television. But anyway, look at verse 39. We are witnesses of all these things, of all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. See, that's his death. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly. What we wanted to show you is that it was God that raised him up the third day. That he's the one that delivered Jesus from the prison of death and the grave. And he did that on the third day. All right, back in Genesis chapter 40, 41, we'll give you some more references there. The last verse we gave you was that Joseph was delivered from prison by the hand of God, and we gave you Genesis 45, verse 7 through 9. I hope I'm not carrying you too fast on these, because these are important, but I do want you to get them, and if you have any questions at any time, well, just ask me, and I have reference for them. The next one is number 45. Number 45. 
And you'll find that in chapter 41, verse 16. And here it is that Joseph is now seen as a revealer of secrets. He's now seen as a revealer of secrets, especially the the secrets or the dreams of Pharaoh. So look at verse 16. 41, verse 16. 41, verse 16. It says, And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. So Joseph was admitting that he did not know the secrets apart from God. And he could reveal the secret things of God. Just as Jesus could reveal the things of God. And in relation to this one, I'll give you some New Testament references. Before we turn to them, let me just let you copy them down. John 17, 8, John 8, 29, John 12, 49. 17, 8, 8, 29, and 12, 49. I think we've already referred to 12, 49 at one time. Okay, we'll look at it again. 12, 49, remember, he says, For I have not spoken of myself. We've already used that in another place. But the Father which sent me, he gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Now then, look at John chapter 17 and verse 8. 17 and verse 8. And we're talking about the fact that he is a revealer of secrets. He says, he he reveals what God has for us to know. He says, for I have given unto them... Now look, you know the secret things belong to God. So he says, for I have given unto them... This is John 17 verse 8. The words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. Why? Because he gave to the disciples God's words. And he says, they believe that I came from you, and that I've given you these things from from the Father. That's what he's talking about. Another reference, we said uh, John 8 verse 28 Look at John chapter 8 and verse 28. Notice what it says here. Then said Jesus unto them, When ye have lifted up the Son of Man, then shall ye know that I am He, and that I do nothing of Myself, but as My Father hath taught Me, I speak these things. He says, There will be proof of it someday that the secret things of God I've revealed to you, I've given to you, and I've taught you. He said it. Later on, after the Son of Man is lifted up on the cross He was talking about, and then after His resurrection, they would begin to know, begin to realize after His death, and especially after His resurrection, the things that He had said have come from God, and that He knew the secret things of God. I keep referring to the secret things of God. You know, God's things are secret. The Bible says the secret things belong to the Lord our God. I believe I've given you this before. What Scripture is it? Does any of you remember who remembers? Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine is it? Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine. It's easy to remember. It says, "But the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed." Let me check it out and see if I've given you the right one. Deuteronomy twenty nine and verse twenty nine. And let's notice what it says here. The last verse: "The secret things belong unto the Lord our God." But the, those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. So when we're talking about Joseph knowing, uh, being a revealer of secrets, and thus being a type of Christ, we can see readily that that is true. 
You ought to memorize Deuteronomy 29.29 because many times someone will ask you the question, well, what about this? And you, you might say, well, you know, I don't know about that. Well, aren't you a student of the Bible? You might admit that there's some things that belong to God that you don't know, right? And what are they? The things, the secret things belong to God. That's why Joseph said, you know, as a reveal of secrets. It's not in me, but God knows about it. And so he, God revealed to Joseph, and then Joseph was a revealer of what? Secrets. In the same way, Jesus was a revealer of secrets. We know He was God manifest in the flesh, but as speaking the Father's words, He says, He that is of God speaketh the words of God. And He said, The Father gives not the Spirit by measure unto Him, speaking of Christ Himself. And those are other references in the book of John in the New Testament, but we won't have time to delve into all that again. All right, let me give you something else. We gave you number 45, didn't we? Okay, let's see if I can find number 46 in the margin of my Bible. And I have to go from one side to the other and back and forth wherever I found space to write anything, which is very uh, seldom I find space. So I went from 45 here to 46 here, but 47 and 8 down here because I had a little more room in another place. So let me give you this one. This is number 46. Joseph warned of a coming danger and urged his hearers to make a suitable provision to meet this coming danger, to meet it, if you want to put it that way. Let me give you the words again. Joseph warned of a coming danger and urged his hearers, and of course Pharaoh was a hearer and so were those his servants, urged his hearers to make suitable provision for it, or to meet it, if you want to put it that way, to meet it. And that will be found in Genesis 41. Let's look at verse 30 and 31. Here's the coming danger he speaks of. And then later on he gives the way that they're to provide for it. Let's begin reading with verse... uh, Let's drop back and read verse uh, 28, if you will. Genesis 41, starting with verse 28. It says, This is the thing which I have spoken unto Pharaoh. What God is about to do, he showeth unto Pharaoh. Behold, there come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt. And there, here's the coming danger. And there shall arise after them seven years of famine. And all the plenty shall be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And the famine shall consume the land. And the plenty shall not be known in the land by reason of the famine falling, for it shall be very grievous. And then he begins to give give them instruction as to how to meet this danger. Let's read on down and we'll find what instruction he gave them. He warns them of the danger. And now let's read on down and see how he makes uh, them mindful of how to meet this danger. In verse 32 it says, and for, and for that the dream was doubled unto Pharaoh twice. It is because a thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass. You remember God's word says, in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word shall be established. By the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. That's two witnesses. This Word was established. Now therefore let Pharaoh look out a man discreet and wise and set him over all over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land and take up the fifth part of, part of the land of Egypt in the seven plenteous years. In other words, store it up. And let them gather all the food of those good years that come and lay up the corn under the under the hand of Pharaoh, and let let him uh, let them keep food in the cities. 
And that food shall be for a store to the land against the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, uh, that the land perish not through the famine. So he told them what to do, didn't he? What was our statement now again? Let's read it again. Number 46. Joseph warned of a coming danger, and he urged his hearers to make suitable provision to meet it. He says it's going to be a very grievous famine in the land. And he says, I'll tell you how to deal with it. God will show you how to deal with it. In those seven good years that come first, you're going to store up food. And then when the famine does come, you'll be provided for. And that's the plan. That was God's plan. So he says, when you have these seven good years, you're going to store up the corn and you're going to keep a fifth part of it. He says, you know, they'll have to have some to live on. But he says, you put back a part of it. A fifth part would be 20%, wouldn't it? Put back, I suppose that's the way we could take it. But he says, you, you store up a part of it. And he says, uh, you keep it for the years of the famine. So Joseph not only warned of a coming danger, but he told them and urged them to make suitable provision to meet that danger. You know, God has given us... You know, this not only applies to the fact that Jesus gave us a warning of dangers to come and how to meet them, but, you know, all through the Bible, God tells us, gives us instruction as how to take care of the future, both now and hereafter. We know our eternal future rests upon our faith in Christ as our Lord and Savior. And He tells us in concerning that, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, right? So we're told how to make provision for the hereafter. But God not only tells us that, but throughout His Word, He tells us how we may live and provide and prosper along the way. And if we'll follow His instructions, we're going to be taken care of. But a lot of times people say, well, how's He going to do that? Well, don't leave that how to yourself, but God is going to do it. He knows how. Scripture we quoted over in Second Peter this morning about Lot. And we said that he delivered Lot out of the cities of the plain of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the next verse says, and I didn't quote all that this morning, it says, the Lord knoweth how. Does he know how? To li- deliver the righteous out of temptation, but to, deserve, but to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. You look over there in Second Peter again to see if you find that. Second Peter chapter 2. And we talked about him delivering Lot. In verse 8, we read this. It says, For that righteous man dwelling among them, this is verse 8, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. For that righteous man, referring to Lot, dwelling among them, and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Now look at verse 9. The Lord knoweth how. He knows how to do everything. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. That's what we were referring to a minute ago. So, God knew how to provide for their famine back there in the days of Joseph. God gave Joseph knowledge of Pharaoh's dreams of how to provide. And he told him exactly what to do. And Joseph passed the word on to those that were involved and those that heard him, and especially the Pharaoh was listening with, with both ears open. And he had a plan for their deliverance from the famine. And he, if they would follow his instructions, what? Store up the corn during the seven years of plenty, 
then there would be provision provided for the seven years of famine that would come. Okay, I think that's as far as we can go tonight. But thank you for your patience, your kind attention. We'll, we'll pick up with number... Help me to remember now, in case I forget, number 47. Wednesday night, 47.